each and every one of you, and it's also good to know that we have some folks that are joining us um, online through our live stream, either on our website or on Facebook Live, and um, 
just wanted to, to let you know in all honesty, um, early on, you know, March 14th, uh, March 15th was the last day we actually uh, met together in the sanctuary. So roughly three months later, here we are. And, and early on in the process, a lot of folks were posting those uh, videos on Facebook of like Chris Farley running down the hall, high-fiving everybody on the David Letterman show or people doing backflips and everything. And um, I think in the very beginning, we thought when we came back together that it would be, um, it would be like that. Um, but I think if we're honest with one another, we'll realize that we have all um, been, been changed in, in some form or fashion by this. But it is a great occasion that we have today to gather back together. Um, God's Word does not take the assembly of the saints um, lightly. And so when we have opportunity to do that, it's, it's not so much that we get the opportunity to see one another. That certainly is a great blessing. It's not so much that we get to join, you know, in, um, in fellowship and things like that, but it is that as the body of Christ, we join together to lift our voices, to lift our hearts, to open our Bibles, to study God's Word with one purpose in mind. And that is to exalt and to lift up the name of Jesus. And in that, I am so glad that we can do that together. Let me just remind you of a couple of things. It's probably been three months since you've heard announcements. But let me just tell you this. Um, connections are important during this time. If you are not connected to what's going on, either through email, text messages, or a phone call, please let the church office know. Give Dawn a call and let her know. Say, hey, I don't get emails, I don't get text messages, or hey, I'm not on technology. Would you please give me a phone call? Let Dawn know so that when we um, need to get out information, we can make sure that we connect with you. Um, that way, if there's changes in the way we do things or if we need to communicate something, we'll make sure that you do know that. And the next thing I'm going to let you know about is during this time, it's also important for us to continue to serve one another. And a great way for us to serve our community is the ministry of Harvest House. Um, while one church could not do um, everything to minister our community, many churches partnering together can help many people. And Harvest House is a great ministry that allows us to do that. Um, Items that are very important during the summer months are things like cereal, peanut butter, spaghetti sauce, and noodles. So the next time you're at the grocery store, if you can just pick up one extra jar of peanut butter, that will greatly help a family. You can drop those items off here at the church. If you're not comfortable coming in the building, you just leave them on the porch and we'll grab them. Or if you have them in your vehicle, they have a drive through option at Harvest House. You can just drive right up and they'll take them right out of your trunk or right out of your back seat, however you would like them to do that. Before we take time, oh, one more thing, just to let you know, men, if you are, are interested, um, prayer breakfast has resumed at Elk Diner, that's 6.30 on Monday morning, so that'll be tomorrow morning. I'm going to like to read with us, read together Psalm 85, and then we'll take time to pray, and then we'll worship together. Psalm chapter 85, says it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. It's titled, Revive Us Again in the ESV. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, a God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God, the Lord, will speak. 
for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, and let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. You pray with me this morning. Father, we are grateful for Your presence among Your people. And we can truly say that we are gathered here in Your name. The name that is above every name. The name by which Your Word says all men can be saved. And so we thank You that as we gather in that name, the mighty name of Jesus, Your presence is with us. And I ask that You would help our hearts to be directed toward You. That our songs would be directed toward You. That our thoughts would be directed toward You. Father, help us to rejoice in this day, not only because it's the day that You have made, but because You also are a great Savior, and You're worthy of all our praise. Father, we think about all the things that are going on outside of our, our door, in neighborhoods, in communities around this community, around the world. Father, we ask for You to bring what only You can bring, and that is revival. Because only a revival brought about by your hand will bring an end to the troubles of this world. God, only you can intervene in, in racial tension and bring unity and healing and forgiveness. Only you, and we do call on you, can bring an end to this disease that we've all come to know during these last few months. Father, only you can bring encouragement and strengthening to those that need it. You can bring hope to those that are hopeless. And you can increase and strengthen the faith to those that are fearful. And so God, on this day, we ask that you would help us to worship you in both spirit and in truth. That you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. And we would sing with glad hearts, with loud voices, praises lifted up to the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could dare to ask or to imagine. And we pray in that name, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Will you join us as we sing together? Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. And there's a place where streams of grace flow deep and Yeah. 
certainly a lot can change in 88 days. March the 14th, we first started hearing the seriousness of what we would later call a, a pandemic, um, coronavirus, COVID-19. And we met on the 15th for, for worship, and then after that we've met in various forms, whether via on Facebook Live, um, me preaching here from the sanctuary with the worship team, me preaching here recording a sermon with Deborah and Samara looking on, um, one very funny sideways attempt of worshiping um, from our own home, and parking lot services, and here we are again. 14th of March, got a call about 5.30 in the morning that my dad had went from just being in, an assist, being in rehab to being in ICU. My dad never got better. My dad passed away, and we went through a strange season of grief in the midst of being away from very many people. I thought at the very beginning that this would be a great time to catch up on reading, to get ahead on my sermon schedule, to maybe do some studying and to spend more time with the Lord. And oh my goodness, it was everything but that. I found myself quickly undone by the, the Lord. My insecurities, my inabilities, my lackings were laid bare before me. And I found myself very much like a scared little kid who just reached his hand up to a loving father that took him by the hand and held him, that held me close and held me tight. These days have been challenging. They've been hard. To not meet together, to make those decisions, to seek the Lord about what's best. Thoughts just consume my days and my hours, and I didn't really get a lot done a lot of days. But God has been and working. And one of the things I do know is that God intends things to be different in, in me. God wants things to be different in you. God wants things to be different than they are in our world. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at two verses in the little book of Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the portion where it goes HZHZ. So you have Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. And so Habakkuk chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I just want to tell you I appreciate your expressions of love, your gratitude, your prayers. Um, in your support, because I, I've felt them, and I'm thankful. If you were to open up the newspaper, find the United States, a country in turmoil. It was a country with great luxury and great poverty. Crime and violence were rampant. Sexual sin was prevalent. Homes and marriages were on the verge of collapse. The economy was very unstable. Unemployment was running rampant. There was racial tension everywhere, political division. They couldn't agree on anything. And there was religious apathy in communities and churches. Why, it may sound a lot like today. The year was 1857. And it was time for change. In New York City, a pastor named Jeremiah Lamphere gathered 
with a few Christians, and they began to meet and pray for revival. They met on Fulton Street, so it quickly became known as the Fulton Street Prayer Meeting. Clever. It was a small group of people who enjoyed mighty times of prayer. Soon after, businessmen closed their businesses to join in prayer, and the prayer movement grew and grew. It was known as the Great Prayer Revival of 1857. And through the outcry of the people, God heard their prayers and He answered. And He renewed the church's life and vitality. There was a deep thirst, a hungry for God was awakened. All because of prevailing prayer. They met, they prayed, and God moved. And many people came to faith in Jesus. It moved so mightily in that area that it even worked in the Navy, John. In the harbor of New York on the battleship North Carolina, a ship with a thousand men on board, four young Christian men met in the very depths of the ship by lantern light and began to pray. One night they were praying, singing bursted out. They were joyfully singing praises to God and sailors, both drunken and irritated, started to investigate to find out what was happening. At first, they began to mock and ridicule and laugh. But later, those mockings were turned to cries of repentance. And night after night, sailor after sailor was converted. The revival quickly swept from New York across the country. More than a million people were saved in a 12-month span. Why? Because men and women saw a need for God to intervene. They were willing to pray earnestly. They sought God faithfully and obediently, God moved. 2020. I think we would agree we're in the same desperate situation. We need a move of God to work in our nation, in our world. This is our first Sunday back in 88 days. And we've talked a lot in the last few weeks about a lot of restatements, re-enter, relaunch restart, resume. But today I want us to focus on two things. Revival and repentance. Because it's time to change. And the main idea I want you to pull away from this this morning is if we desire to see God work in our day, the church must pray and obey. Let's see what the prophet Habakkuk says in those first two verses of chapter 3. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiganah. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath Remember mercy. Father, our prayer this morning is very simple. We need to hear your voice. Make your word come alive to us by your spirit. Show us, teach us, change us, and transform us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. See, the prophet Habakkuk was a man who saw both the spiritual and the moral decline of Judah. And he wondered why God wasn't 
doing anything. How long would it be, Lord? He inquired of the Lord. God spoke. He waited patiently on God, and God spoke again. He cried out to God, and God moved. So what do you and I need to do in our day if we want to see God bring about revival? The first thing from the prophet is we need to remember God's work in the past. You see, this verse tells us that Habakkuk heard the report of God's work. Now, when it says hearing, it's more than just recognizing a sound, but it's hearing that results in doing. It's hearing that leads to action. So much that in the Hebrew mind, when they heard that word Shema, hear and do were almost synonymous. What did he hear? He heard the report of what God was doing, what he was going to do to bring punishment to Judah for their sins. And he was going to use a people called the Babylonians. But in the midst of that, he would show mercy and he would save a remnant. You see, in God's work all throughout history, we see both his judgment and his salvation. So when you read the prophets, some people say the prophets are harsh. It's all judgment. No, it's judgment and salvation. It's in there if you read carefully. And we see that his holiness and his righteousness lead him to be just. But his love and his mercy lead to salvation. And when we look back at what God's record is like, we see that we can trust Him today. Because God doesn't change. What God says, God will do. And as Psalm 100 verse 5 says, the Lord is good and His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. And when you and I remember who God is and what God does, it it strengthens our, our faith. It brings encouragement to our hearts. It ignites us in our prayers. When we remember what God has done in the past, it energizes our faith. Looking back at these last three months, one of the things that that God is reminding me over and over again is I'm faithful. I am who I say that I am. The things I say in my word are true. I am with you. But we not only have to remember what God did in the past, we also have to realize the need for His work in the present. See, a lot of people, when they open up the Bible, they read it like it's some dead book of ancient stories. It's no different than, you know, history of the world part one or, you know, uh, U.S. history to 1865. They might find interesting stories. They might find some novel sayings. But it's not necessarily transformational. They may gain some information, but it doesn't really change their life. But the reality is when we open up our Bibles, when we we turn to the pages of Scripture, it's living history. It's an active account of what God has done to intervene throughout all of history for the benefit of His creation. It shows us who He is. It shows us what He does. It shows us what He likes, what He doesn't like. And it reveals the need that we have for Him. See, Habakkuk saw a need for God to move and to act. And the phrase he uses is, in the midst of the year. 
you have the NIV, it's probably translated in our day. If you have the New Living Translation, which I like the best, it says, in the time of our deep need. You see, the situation in Habakkuk today was urgent, and they needed God. You could almost say that they were in a state of emergency in Judah. That's a time when there's a, a need for change in normal behavior for the benefit of everyone, and where the government sometimes will step in and implement emergency plans. You probably wouldn't be able to count the numbers of declarations that either the president has made, our governor has made, or the mayor has made during these coming days, all in response to an emergency. I would argue today that we are in a spiritual state of emergency. There's urgent problems. There's things that must be addressed. They can't be ignored. And we need to implement that emergency plan. And we're going to see what that is. That's to call on the Lord and to do what He says. It leads to changing our normal, everyday behavior. And we know what that looks like, right? I don't know if anybody would have envisioned himself on the 1st of March to think that you would um, be way, you know, wearing a mask or using exorbitant amounts of hand gel or maybe even doing curbside pickup at the grocery store, which, by the way, I've become addicted to. Um, and so... Um, if they ever start charging again, I'm going to have to come up with a budget line to pay for it because it's just fun to click on items that you can, and they just show up and they stick them in your car. But we've all made changes. Well, you have to pay for them too. They don't just show up in your car. That would be that would be really interesting. It'd be great. Um, but we have to change our normal behavior. But we also have to remember that God is willing to work and to trust Him to do it, and to remember that we can't trust in the government. It's not the White House's responsibility. It's not the Capitol in Austin. It's not our mayor. It's not our county officials. It's not society. It's not just being a better us, having open dialogue and conversations. Those things are important. And it's not just what we can do. It's not our strength. It's not our intellect. It's not our ability. No, we have to rely on God and His work. And that's the third thing Habakkuk teaches us. See, Habakkuk, throughout this book, trusted in God to carry out His plan. He didn't understand. He asked questions. But he knew God would somehow work it out. And so he called out to Him. In fact, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, he states just an assurance that he knew God would eventually deliver His people, that there would be a, a remnant that would be preserved. And Habakkuk was ready. He was waiting for God to work. And through this little book, and I ask you to take time later to read it because it's not that long, that his attitude has changed from worry to, to worship. He goes from wondering to believing, and those questions that he asks are turned to prayers. Let me ask you today, how about you? How are you doing? Are you trading in your worry for worship? Have you stopped wondering and started to believe? Are you replacing those questions with prayers? See, when Habakkuk prayed, he asked God for three things. He said, God, revive. God, reveal. God, remember. First thing he said, Lord, revive your work. 
the Message Bible says, God, do among us what you did among them. God, we've seen what you've done in the past. We've seen you move through the Bible stories we read. We've seen you move throughout history. And we need you to do it again in our day. Because Habakkuk had a confidence that was rooted deeply in God's deeds of the past that led him to have assurance for the present and hope in the future. Why? Because he knew God would work. It's true all through the Bible as you read those stories, God will work. There's hard things that happen. There are difficulties. There are tragedies. There are things that we don't like. There are things that we read and think, gosh, why? But throughout the Bible, we can without a doubt say that God does His work. Psalm 85, which we read earlier, verses 6 and 7, the cry out of the sons of Korah, God, will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us, let us see your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Because only God can bring life. That's what it means to revive. Imagine if you had lost consciousness and stopped breathing and somebody did CPR and they revived you. They brought life back into you. They breathed life back into you. And only God can breathe life into us by His Spirit. But God not only asked Habakkuk to revive his work, he asked God to reveal it. Reveal your work. Make it known is what it said. To know something by experience. It's the difference between opening up a recipe book or pulling up Pinterest and reading through a recipe and actually tasting a sample. Taking a bite. So many people today, even Christians, know so little of what God desires, know so little of what God promises and wants to do because they haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But let me just tell you, when someone has had an undeniable encounter with the living God, you know without a doubt it's God at work. And you can read about those stories in the Bible, but when you see God move, there's a difference. I could tell you several stories, but I'll just take one. Um, Toward the end of the adoption process, we were in the capital of Honduras, and we had an appointment at the United States Embassy to work on Samara's visa application. So we got dropped off by two missionaries, um, knowing just enough Spanish to get me in trouble and not out of trouble. And so we walked to the door and we politely told the man with the machine gun that we had an appointment at the embassy. And he politely let us know in the best English he could speak that we weren't getting in, that the embassy was closed. I did what everybody was told you to do throughout history, just say, I'm an American citizen and we want to get into our embassy. Man with the machine gun said no. So we have an appointment. We have already bought plane tickets to leave, and we need a visa, and we can't get in. Then all of a sudden, out of this crowd of people, this lady walks up, speaks English. It says, can I help you with something? And so we told her very politely, we have an appointment at the embassy, but they're telling us it's closed and we can't get in. And she goes, just a moment. So she turns, talks to the man with the machine gun in Spanish, 
And in just a minute, the man politely extended his hand to us, waved us up toward the door, and we walked into a completely empty United States embassy. And in an empty embassy with just a few workers, we were able to process the paperwork that was necessary. Soon after that lady spoke in Spanish, we didn't know where she was. She just disappeared. We truly believe it was God working on our behalf. And whether that lady was an angel or not, um, in our eyes, she was definitely sent by God. And I'm sure you could tell stories as well where God has done something and your eyes are open and you have no doubt in your mind, that was God working. You know it's Him. And so Habakkuk calls on God to open up the eyes of the people, to shine light into darkness. And the truth is, that's a work only God can do to open our spiritual eyes. He opens the eyes of non-believers, the people that are unable to see the things of God, unable to see their own lostness, their own condition. And unless He opens their eyes, they continue to believe in things like fate and chance, their own intellect, maybe their own ingenuity. Maybe they believe in some other force. And usually it's anything but God that they put their trust in. But here's the truth. Jesus opens spiritually blind eyes. Remember that. There's people you're praying for. There's people you know and you love. There are names that are written on boards on either side of our sanctuary that we're praying for. Don't ever forget that Jesus opens spiritually blind eyes. He opens the eyes of the people that he misses the most. He lets them see his love for them, their need for him, his work around them. But he also reveals things to Christians. Now, we may not be spiritually blind, but boy, we sure do lose our focus often. Or at least I do. Maybe I'm the only one. Easily distracted by other things or we're attracted to other things. All the while, we lose our focus on the most important we struggle to see what God is doing right now, and we have a hard time seeing that God would maybe be willing to do something in our future. Let me encourage you with these words from Paul in Ephesians 1.18. It's a prayer that you can pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called God, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see who you are, the riches of your glorious inheritance in his holy people. You see, Habakkuk's prayer is, God, do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, Lord, remember mercy. Remember mercy. Judgment was coming for Judah. And Habakkuk knew they deserved it. And he pleaded for mercy. There in the last part of verse 2, in the wrath, in wrath, remember mercy. And as S.B. Meyer said, we can't appeal to our own merit in those circumstances. We can only appeal to God's mercy. I have a less than stellar academic career, and at um, two points during my college endeavor, I found myself on the dean's list, not the good dean's list, at UTA. 
And God had worked miraculously in my life. He called me to, to be a pastor, called me to go to seminary. And I was finding myself about to be removed from the education system um, at the University of Texas at Arlington. I didn't know what to do. So I went to see the dean. I don't remember her name, but she, at the beginning, looked very stern and very academic. And I just was honest with her as I could be. I said, you know, I've done really absolutely nothing in all of my time here to merit um, any mercy in this situation. I mean, she received my transcript. She knew what my grades were. And I said, but God has a plan for me. God's called me, you know, to preach, and I want to go to seminary, and I can't go to seminary unless I have a college degree. So I told her that. I laid it out before. She leaned back in her chair, and, and, and if I remember the words exactly, it was something like this. I don't know why I'm doing this but I'm going to give you another chance. And I said, thank you, and yes, ma'am. And she probably gave some words about how she would be watching me closely. Um, I'd realized during those times that there were some parts of education that weren't for me, and I moved um, toward history with a minor in English, and I finished out my degree at UTA. But while I didn't deserve it, she showed me mercy. God so much more in who He is, even though He is perfect and righteous and just, at the same time, is loving. He executes justice perfectly. He's holy and He's righteous. He's perfect. He's sinless. And we look at ourselves and we find out what? That we are flawed. We are sinful and we deserve His punishment. His wrath. Sorry to mention that. Wrath is probably not a real popular subject. Probably don't talk about it much at the dinner table. A lot of people try to deny it. They say, God's, God's a God of love. Or God wouldn't do that. But the truth is, as Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, that everyone apart from Christ is a child or we are children of wrath. Prophets warned about it. A future day coming where God would judge the day of the Lord. John the Baptist preached it. Paul wrote about it. Jesus warned in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. Think about it. If there were no wrath, God wouldn't need to take actions against sinners if he wasn't against it. There'd be no need for salvation, but God is not only just and perfectly just, He's also the very expression of perfect love. John 3.16, we could quote it probably all together. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But when you read verse 17, it becomes more clear. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God demonstrates His love for us in the fact that Jesus died for us, even though we didn't deserve it, and that's mercy. It's His love. It's His faithfulness that's expressed. It's what His forgiveness is founded upon, and He shows it toward those that He chooses. 
as one person wrote it, extending patience toward those that deserve punishment. By God's mercy, we're here today. And Habakkuk says, God, in wrath, remember mercy. Now, he's not asking God to remember something he might have forgotten. It's more like, God, we don't deserve your mercy. We can't earn it, but boy, do we need it. History tells us that judgment came on the nation of Judah. God used the Babylonians. He drugged them away into captivity. The temple was destroyed, and everything seemed lost. But God showed mercy. He kept a remnant. And after 70 years, God freed the captives. They returned home. Zerubbabel led the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. Ezra led the rebuilding of the spiritual lives of the people, all because of God's mercy. Habakkuk prayed, Lord, revive. Lord, reveal. Lord, remember, because revival is God's work. Revival is God's work. People can have revival meanings, but only God can bring revival. Revival is consistent with God's character. It's consistent with His nature. It's shown by the way He's worked in history. Because God works to redeem and to bring life. And if we want to see revival in our day, we want to see God work in our day, the church must pray. The church must be obedient. We have to look around us, see the present need for salvation, for transformation and change. We have to be aware that we're broken and we need fixing. We have to remember that God is willing to work. He's willing to respond to the fervent prayers of His people. And then we have to trust God in His time, by our faith, to work. And we pray with passion. Oh Lord, revive me. Revive us. Revive our church, revive our land, bring life to our world. Father, reveal yourself and your ways. God, make your work known, not just here, but to all the world. And God, in the midst of all the evil and the sadness of sin that we experience, remember your mercy. I wonder sometimes if we read a news article or watch the news, if the best prayer that we could pray is just simply, Lord, have mercy. But along with that prayer, we have to obey with, a, with all our heart. Leonard Ravelin Hill, who wrote much about revival, said, "Revival In revival, God is not concerned about filling empty churches. He's concerned about filling empty hearts. And here's where the filling starts. It starts with me starts with, with you. An old song that we used to sing, send a great revival, O Christ my Lord, let it go over the land and the sea, send it according to thy dear word, and let it begin in me. In my life and yours, let me just be honest, God will not move in revival if there is prayerlessness if there is laziness, if there is rebelliousness, if there is sinfulness. 
He won't move in our life. And He won't move in our church either. But here's the good news. There's a solution. The word repentance should be a regular part of our daily walk with Jesus. We should be keenly aware of His willingness to forgive us if we confess. We should be sure that He disciplines us because He loves us, that He has our best interest in mind, and that when we come to Him and we confess our sins, He will forgive for our good. And so that word repentance, there's two words that we have to understand. That's turn and return. Turn away from your sin and return to God. And we find ourselves welcomed home like the lost son. He will welcome us. He'll forgive us. Listen to what God's Word promises. Proverbs 28:13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Acts 3.19 in the New American Standard. Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent, return, be refreshed. It's a simple formula, but it's very powerful. The opposite of that is continue in what you're doing to try to hide it, and you're going to be miserable. Repent, return, and be refreshed. I can tell you this. A revived church will be a repenting church. Communist Romania, the church became known as the Repenters. That was the name that they gave them because they preached repentance. When a revival broke out in those churches in a town called Aradia near the Hungarian border, a man began preaching a series of messages to bring the message of repentance to the Repenters. And when the people who said they were Repenters actually began to repent, then God began to do a great and mighty work. Unless we're willing to abandon ourselves, turn away from sin and turn to God, we'll never see revival. So we're willing to humble ourselves and pray. And I'm not talking about just here and there prayers. I'm talking about corporate, united, in one place, in one accord, prayer. We won't see revival. Until we stop making excuses for our lives and giving license to our actions, to our own disobedience, we will not see revival revival. If we want to see revival in our land, in our day, we have to abandon ourselves and passionately follow after Jesus. You may may have never heard of Bill Stevens. I'd never heard of him. If you have, I'd be surprised, but he's a pastor from Colorado, and he wrote these words, every revival and awakening has begun with a passionate group of kingdom seekers faithfully praying for the presence of the Spirit of God to sweep across their nation. Let me read that again. Every great revival 
and awakening has begun with a passionate group of kingdom seekers faithfully praying for the presence of the Spirit of God to sweep across their nation. The chronicler wrote similar words, Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will, for, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Only then will the revival happen and it's time time for change. Will you pray? Father, if we were supremely honest with you this morning, we would say that we long to see you bring revival. We would love to see you do the great and mighty things you've done in the past, transform lives, to rebuild homes, and to change our world. But if we were equally as honest, we would agree that we struggle in the area of being honest with you about our sin, about our lives, and seeking forgiveness through repentance. That we would say, yeah, we, we pray sometimes, and we, we pray at meals, or we pray periodically. But for the most part, we don't desperately seek you like the writer of Chronicles has mentioned. God, I don't have the solution to fix our lives, to fix our community, or to fix our country, but I know you do. And you're calling your people back to you. We've re-entered the building and we've resumed meeting together in person. But we need you to revive us. So God, this morning I'm asking for you to move in our hearts. That we would open our lives to you, that we would be an open book. God, that you would search us Lord, you would point out things that need to go, things we need to stop doing, things that we've forsaken that we need to start. And that we'd see you made repentance for our good, for our benefit, that when we repent and we return to you, that you bring refreshment. And that trying to hide, trying to deny, leaves us nothing but miserable and moves us further and further away from revival. Lord, we're about to sing a song together. The refrain in that song is, I surrender all. Lord, help us with humble, broken, repentant hearts to offer our all to you, to surrender our all to you. to join with one another in fervent prayer 
and as best we can with the help of your Spirit to faithfully obey you. And Lord, for those that are still this morning having a hard time believing that your word is true or that you could possibly love them or that you have a plan for their life, Lord, I'm asking for you to open their eyes that they would see that you are a God of love and mercy who offers salvation in the name of Jesus. And that by turning toward you and turning away from their sin and their self, placing their faith in Jesus, that they can trust in you today. Oh God, we've seen your work in the past and we ask it that you revive it and use it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of commitment together. Um, the worship team is here in a place to lead us. Don't waste this time. Ask God to search you and to know your heart. Ask Him to help you sing with wholehearted abandon and passion. I surrender all. Make that your prayer as we sing together. Will you join us as we sing? Will you stand? Thank you so much for being here for worship today and for for worship team for for leading us and for just the presence of the Lord to be evidenced in this place. And pray that the Lord would take the word, his word, and help it to dwell 
in our hearts through faith, and then it would work to, to change us and to transform us. Um, it's been good to be together, to be in this place. Um, I'm thankful for, for your love. I'm thankful for the body that God has placed here, and I'm thankful for the, the way that God is, is using us, not only here today, but also through, um, through Facebook and through our, our church live stream where people you know, are still able to connect even though they're not with us. Um, let me just say a brief prayer, prayer to dismiss us, and then you'll be free to go. Father, we are so grateful that we could gather here today. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for the encouragement that we gain from one another. We ask as we go from these, this place, as we leave these doors, that you would continue to work. God, we would be like pots that simmer, that it would be slow work over time, that we wouldn't soon forget the truth of your word. God, help us to refresh and to renew our hearts and to taste afresh and anew who you are and what you desire to be. God, we love you. We thank you for this fellowship that we've enjoyed today, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen and amen. Lord bless you.